This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot BioProven 40 OS. The nitrogen you need, now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Spring planting is well underway, yet there are serious delays in some parts of the country. Meanwhile, cattle are selling at a premium price compared to recent years. Chip Flory provides his spring marketing outlook for both grains and livestock and helps us get a better perspective on the keys we need to keep in mind moving forward. Those are our topics for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. Farmers have faced many challenges regarding nitrogen needs for their corn crop in recent years, including fertilizer shortages, higher nitrogen prices, and delayed plantings. The past few seasons, I've been using Pivot BioProven 40 to provide my corn with the nitrogen it needs, no matter the weather. Now that predictability is available right on the corn seed. Pivot BioProven 40 on seed gives growers even more flexibility with their nitrogen plant. Pivot Bio products contain naturally occurring microbes that fix nitrogen from the air and provide it directly to corn plants all season long. Those microbes can replace up to 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen fertilizer. I hope you'll learn more. Just contact your local sales rep or go to pivotbio.com. We've been planting corn and soybeans this past week on our farm. We had frost to begin the week, but the weather has gotten a little warmer after some record lows in the area. Depending on where you live, you may feel way ahead or way behind so far this spring. And if you are a cattle producer, you're seeing some prices that continue to push higher. I caught up with AgriTalk host Chip Flory as he was traveling through northwest Missouri, and we sat down to discuss the trends he sees, and he shares some of the market-moving news to be aware of as we move deeper into this year. Chip Flory is my guest. Chip and I are going to visit about markets like we always do. Chip, you know, we're ready to head into May here. Give me your thoughts on where we're at just with, with planting right now, because there's still snow all the time in, in, in the northern plains. I, I don't know what's going to happen getting uh, this crop in this year. Yeah, it it's tough to say this at the end of April, first part of May, that it is 100% a weather market. And Maybe there's some other influences that are going on out there when you take a look at how the old crop is trading in relation to the new crop and everything. But if we talk just about the 2023 markets, it it is weather. Now, first thing, first question we got to answer is that 92 million acres of corn, 87 and a half million acres of beans. Can we get everything that's intended in the ground? Um, it's starting to feel less and less likely that that is going to happen and i to say that around the the at the end of april you should we shouldn't be talking that way yet but like you said with the conditions that we've got in the northwest production areas um making the assumption that it's going to turn to 80 degrees and the wind blow for about 10 days to get those to get those fields fit up there you're asking for a lot so it may not be late yet, but it feels like it's going to be late. So I think that's going to start to have more and more of an influence on uh, on the markets going forward. You talk about the markets right now, just what we have with old crop. We have no carry in this market, which is, uh, you know, we've seen that before, but it seems like more pronounced to me this year. Yeah, yeah and the, 
the corn market and soybean markets are reflecting that with the premium in the May to the and the May's of course going going into a delivery period, but you got a, a premium to the July. July is a premium to the sip, the sap and the August in beans, but um, that I think is as much a reflection of. You know, some demand came back into the market, especially for corn. China was there as a buyer. Then they stepped out. Then they came back. I think there's an expectation that China's probably going to step back in at least a couple more times until they get more confident in what the Safrina corn crop's going to be in Brazil. So I, I think that's part of the old crop support. The, um, the other side of it is exactly what you're talking about. And you look at the basis to go along with the premium in the or the bull spread markets. You look at the basis. Someplace it's falling apart. Uh, the Mississippi River has gotten too high. They're going to shut down barge traffic if they haven't already. They're going to have to shut it down for a period of time, and that's going to kill the basis at at the the on, on the river markets. And you kill that basis, you're going to it trickles out from that river market and it hits everybody. Until you get far enough west and back into the rail market, taking it down through Hereford, um, that rail market is still really, really good basis. And so we've got two really, well, and I should mention, get to the other side of the, of, uh, the Mississippi into the eastern Corn Belt, and it basis might be really good at some of the ethanol plants, and it might stink at others. And I think that has to do, at this time of the year, I think that has to do with how well they established extended coverage at those ethanol plants. If they had trouble buying corn for to use in May and June uh, and still need to get some bought, of course, that's where your basis is still pretty good. If they got the the coverage on through the end of June and just looking at July, August, September, then I, I think that's where the basis is softened up. So, very different kind of cash signals coming from different areas and and uh, but boy where conditions are or where supplies are tight in cattle country basis is still really good yeah. so if you're a producer right now and you're setting still on quite a bit of crop in your bins what is a marketing strategy that you that you have right now yeah um, use the January highs as targets. Um, maybe anticipate falling or stopping 15, maybe 20 cents short of those highs. I don't think we're going to take out the January highs is what I'm saying. Um, and get your price orders in place right now because you're busy worrying about the next crop. Uh, do your marketing, manage your, your marketing risk before you get really busy in the field and, get some price orders in place uh, just with what's left uh in the bin i i think i would just use a, a you know a scale up marketing selling approach to it and by hold some back for that last spike that might get us right back up to the highs uh but have an order there too i i wouldn't wait i wouldn't anticipate making a new high you and i of course talk every few months on yeah. this show 
And over the last two or three years, we've continued to talk that, okay, input prices get higher, but the selling price has gotten higher, so the margin has maintained. But we've always said, well, there's going to be coming down on the other side sometime. So have we already started coming down on the other side? Yeah, I I think so. This is what it looks like on the other side of that, because fertilizer prices have backed off. Fuel prices have backed off. I think it's going to be a very volatile situation. We we got to remember, one of our biggest suppliers is at war. So we need to we need to keep track of that and understand that that um, uh, there is some uncertainty or insecurity in the total supply that's going to be coming our way. So we, it, volatility in pricing is going to remain. Um, and for the first time on AgriTalk, just within the last couple of weeks. Analysts have started talking about taking a look at 24 crop and maybe think about doing some marketing there. It's like 530, 540 on the Dece 24 corn. If that works in a typical year for you, even if you don't have 100% of your inputs covered for 24, which nobody does, but if it would typically work for you, maybe it's not a bad idea to just get a little bit started out there too. Well, you mentioned the inputs. Would you go out there and try to do some protection on inputs as best you can? or Because it's all about the margin. Right. If the margin works and the return is is satisfactory, why not? Why not? And the, the reason that I say that is because what if all 92 million corn acres get planted? What if we are within a couple of bushels of trend line at trend lines 181 and a half? If we've got a high 170 yield and 92 million acres planted, our carryover at the end of the 23-24 is probably going to be in that 1.8 to, to 2 billion bushels. That's a lot different than something south of 1.5 billion. And uh, th- that will take some of the uh, that will take some of, of the support out of the market on that 24 crop for sure. You alluded to Ukraine and Russia there just a moment ago. Mm-hmm. How big of an impact has that war had in our markets? Is it? Can we put any dollar figure or percentage on it of what impact it has had and is having going forward? Well, that's a good question. And you, you look at the corn market and the ability of the old crop to stay as high as it has for as long as it has. I think that's part of the influence. Uh, the wheat market, the way that wheat ran up uh, and held up for so long. And now, with the market growing tired of those of, of the Ukrainian headlines, now all of a sudden, it's like they pulled the rug out from underneath the the hard red winter wheat market. The soft red winter wheat market is is looking at good conditions and growing tired of the of the Ukrainian story. Uh, and the way that that the wheat market has pulled back would certainly suggest that we're taking some of that that Ukrainian premium out of the wheat market right now. So I uh, it it has been a uh, it's been a fascinating market to watch how it all played out. But here we are now uh what 15 months past the invasion and I think the market has just grown tired of of relying on it as a source of support. Right. Yeah. You're always talking to a lot of different farmers out there. 
interest rates certainly have gone up a lot over the last year. I say a lot. Some of the folks farming now are seeing the highest interest rates they have had since they ever started farming. Right. It depends how old you are. You saw them a lot higher than yeah. that before. Have we really seen that, though, impact things like land prices and and, and big-ticket uh, purchases, or are enough farmers sitting on enough cash that we can continue just to, to push ahead? It's been amazing to see how the land market has absorbed the higher interest rates. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of down payment, the amount of cash that's being used in the process has something to do with that. Um, the I think another thing that that uh, is coming into play is the guys that are really you know looking at maybe maybe now is the time to go ahead and pick up another piece of ground. I've got another grandson in the family. I've got this happening. I've got that happening. They remember what it was like to pay eighteen, nineteen, twenty percent, and they're looking at the current mortgage rates or the current uh, uh, interest rates and saying, yeah, it's different than it has been for the last 10 years, but it's not like it was in when, when I was a teenager. And uh, so I think it, it has it slowed things down a bit. Yes, but it sure hasn't killed it. And uh, those that are thinking, well, this in, current interest rates are going to get us a 20, 25% setback or, downside correction in land prices? I don't think so. We're going to have to eat through some more of that cash for a while, right? <laughs> that's right. That is exactly right. That's part of it. Which I don't want to see happen, but uh, that's what, what happens in farming. We have uh, we have some yep. cash, so now we got to eat through it, I guess. Yeah, that's right. You know, and and we we talk about revenue off of row crop and everything, and, and we're talking about that at a time when we've got live cattle prices making all-time highs. Feeder cattle market is just outstanding. Um, but the cost of gain on those animals in the yard, it's as high as it has ever been. So all-time high prices sounds great. In reality, they're making some money, the feed right. yards are. But, boy, all these black calves that are dotting the uh, green pastures here around uh, <laughs> northwest Missouri, those are probably going to do all right, Andrew. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about the cattle market because certainly uh, these prices are ones that we haven't seen for a long time, if ever, in some cases. Yeah, right. You look at those back month feeder cattle prices two thirty, two thirty five. Uh, it's even if we get a, a significant setback in price this spring, this summer, it, we're not going to see it in the feeder cattle because we're not all of a sudden going to make new calves available. Uh, to the feed yards. And if the feed yards are making a little bit of money, they're going to want to fill it right back up every time they empty one out. So uh, it, the, the fundamentals of the cattle market are, unless it changes dramatically on the demand side, but the, the fundamentals on the supply side are not going to change for two, three years. So we've just got a tight enough supply that uh, it, it's, it's going to support that market. Now, we'll put, uh, we'll put a top in the market before the fundamentals are fixed, we got to remember that. But uh, there's there's at least one more tightening on the supply side. At some point, we got to take heifers out of the feed yard and put them on pasture, right? Well, that cuts our beef supply one last time. Should give us one last spike up in uh, feeder cattle and fat cattle prices. 
What are you hearing from cattle producers out there, though? I mean, this is somewhat territory that we haven't seen for a while. Certainly, over the last couple of years, margins have been all right, but uh, this market just continues to move higher. Yeah. Um, what, what I'm hearing is give us some rain and get some, some grass back in the rangeland, and the pears are going to be uh, – the three-in-one packages – are just going to be on fire if they get if they get water in the in the plains. I, there's no other way to to anticipate it. Uh, and once once we go through that process, then I'm then I'm going to start to get a little worried about backing the market off in general. Right now, I, boy, I, we're anticipating that these prices are going to stick around for a while and and uh, give everybody an opportunity at making some money. There are a lot of places, though, that are still pretty dry, aren't yeah. there? In western Kansas, we you know, you look down in the panhandles and so forth. What are you hearing from folks out that direction? You know, I thought this transition from El Nino, excuse me, from La Nina to El Nino would change the weather patterns enough that it would bring some moisture in for them and that the guys in the range areas would would start to rebuild some herds um but until it actually happens i I don't think they're gonna buy in anticipation of rain they're not gonna do that the other thing that i'm hearing and i'm hearing it for the first time and it's not just in the west it's even in the east where they have had good conditions i'm talking about virginia kentucky tennessee those guys are looking at the value of even call cows and thinking to themselves, if there's ever been a better time to get out of the business completely, I don't know when it was or if it will ever be this good again. So there are some that are thinking now might just be the right time to step out. Now, if that happens, it prolongs it even further because it'll extend that cycle uh, for a potential top in the market another couple of years. In the time we have remaining, you're always talking all kinds of ag topics, ag issues. So what are the other things top of mind for Chip Flory right now that producers should be thinking about? Okay. Uh, EPA Administrator Regan was in front of the House Ag Committee very recently. And the conversations that it was very good. Okay, it was a high-level conversation that the members of the House were having related to ag issues. But it was just served as a reminder of how closely tied agriculture is to the EPA. Chemical registrations, uh, waters of the U.S. rules, um, biofuels, rules and regs and RVOs and RFS and SAF and everything else. Um, that connection and and that testimony that Regan provided, it it kind of set me back. Just thinking about my gosh, how closely connected um, farmers are to farmers and farming are to EPA. So that's. That is a um, a thought process that I am going to use in picking some guests going forward here and uh, explore that connection and whether or not it's the right connection to have. 
What about Farm Bill? Because that's certainly on folks' minds. Do we get one this year, or how's the process play out? I'm starting to doubt if we are going to get one this year. When McCarthy decided that cuts to SNAP benefits is going to be one way that we can reduce the the, the budget deficit, uh, that throw that puts that right on uh, on uh, House uh, Chairman Thompson's platter, and that is something that I don't think he anticipated having to deal with to that degree. The idea was let's not touch the nutrition title, let's uh, keep it where it's at, no less. That'll satisfy most of of the Democrats. And we'll be able to go from there. If you cut the nutrition title, that's going to be like stepping on a third rail. And uh, to me, it feels more and more like an extension in 23. You're not going to want to hash it out in 24. So maybe a two-year extension now. We might not see another bill until 25. The thing that could save it, the person that could save it, is Senate Ag Chairperson Stabenow. She's not running again in 24. She wants one more farm bill to be her legacy. So if she can get it done, if it does get done in 24, I think it's going to be because of Stabenow. In that farm bill, what do you foresee on crop insurance and conservation and these types of things? Are you hearing pretty much the status quo or will we move one way or the other? Crop insurance, I think, is going to be close to status quo. Conservation... It could go one of two different directions because there is nobody on the GOP side that is happy with uh, USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack using the Commodity Credit Corporation as an ATM for conservation and climate smart farming projects. Nobody is happy with that. Um, They may try to, if it's going to be, if there's going to be some revolutionary elements in the farm bill, I think it will be on the conservation side where they will try to take some of those projects from USDA and put them back into the conservation title in the in the farm bill. With, with that conversation, uh, conservation topic, how should farmers think about that or prepare for that? Because we hear all this talk, and I think a lot of us wonder, well, how do I prepare for that if that's the the right word where are we headed boy i wish i i knew for sure on this one because i i don't think the math makes sense to most farmers and by that i mean on this um on on the carbon sequestration so what there's what, what they see is a big company paying to continue to do what they do the way they do it and moving some of that that uh, that cost over to a payment for farmers who are trying to conserve carbon and it at some point at some point the the whole attention and the whole potential to cut carbon emissions so much of the attention is on agriculture well if you sell the credit Two people then cannot claim that agriculture is doing something because I'm just going to make up a company, Anheuser-Busch, okay? 
if they're paying for carbon credits to to Andrew McRae, you can't say that you did your part because it's Anheuser-Busch doing that. It's not you. You both can't lend credit to putting away the same CO2. So at some point, does uh, does does farming then lose so much potential that they now become the bad guy because, you know, it just, you run out of math at some point on this stuff. It, 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 and it, um, I think there's a, a high level of skepticism over just how well this is going to work going forward. I don't know where it's going to end up, Andrew. I don't. Yeah, a lot of unanswered questions, but I guess that's always the way in farming. Yep, absolutely. And and there are some that are going to be way out in front on this. Uh, they may benefit the most from it, um, and they may show us the way. They may show us the way, and all of a sudden it makes sense to everybody. But right now, eh, it's, I, I don't, I don't, a lot of people don't see the sense in it. Chip, I always appreciate the talk. Andrew, I do too. Thank you. Of course, you can check out Chip's AgriTalk broadcast every weekday on many radio stations and podcast platforms. It was great to catch up with him as he passed through the area where we farm in northwest Missouri. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farm in the Countryside on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can hear past shows by simply going to farmingthecountryside.com or finding us on any of those podcast platforms. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farm in the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bioproven 40 OS. The nitrogen you need, now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com.